The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right, welcome to the pot of thunder and rock and roll. This is Talk is Jericho and our celebratory week right here on our new platform of Westwood One continues with another great commercial-free episode of Talk is Jericho. And I'm proud to announce that due to being on Westwood One, a much bigger, more successful platform, we're now officially available at TuneIn. And that means if you have an Amazon Echo or Echo Dot connected to TuneIn, you can just say, hey, Alexa, play Talk is Jericho podcast, and she will. You can do the same with Google Home. Just say, hey, Google, listen to Talk is Jericho or play the Talk is Jericho podcast, and you're going to get it. Plus, you can listen to it on Apple and iTunes and all the different places where you can listen to all the episodes of Talk is Jericho. No more hidden behind a paywall. Just don't listen at Podcast One anymore because we ain't there anymore. We're here on Westwood One. Everyone knows that, including all of our friends and family who know that on Friday, it's time for the Duff McKagan Joke of the Week. Hey, Chris Jericho. This is Duff McKagan calling you. Uh, yeah, hi. And, and Susan McKagan to the background. We're, we're here in uh, lovely Los Angeles, California at the moment. And I don't know about uh, you guys, but what, we've really been into the Crown TV series uh, lately. Really into it. Fascinating television. That reminds me, um, you know, Prince Philip, he was looking out the windows the uh, day before Christmas, Christmas Eve, actually. And he uh, was looking out and he goes, that's some rain, dear. And uh, the, the queen says to Philip, she goes, yeah, 63 years, quite a long time. Thank you very much. Goodbye. All right, Duff's got a million Christmas jokes, but that's the last one we'll do. Uh, and by the way, happy 2018 to Duff and his beautiful wife, Susan. And here's some more ex- awesomely, extremely bad jokes. But before 2018 really gets underway, we've got to take a look at the best of what 2017 had to offer, at least for the Fab Three, myself, Mike Portnoy, and Charlie Benanti. That's what we're doing today. Mike and Charlie from Anthrax are back on Talk is Jericho to talk about best movies, TV shows, the music of 2017. We're discussing our favorites and some former favorites and a few big disappointments. Let's just say that Star Wars, The Walking Dead, Game of Thrones, Black Mirror, Metallica, Sons of Apollo, Anthrax, Fozzie, Stranger Things, Twin Peaks, Paul McCartney, Baby Driver, I, Tonya, all of these things make the lists, and you know that I love lists. See what I did there? So let's get to it right here. It's the best of 2017 with the Fab Three, Mike Portnoy and Charlie Benanti. Let's start now. All right, so we're here with the Fab Three, uh, Charlie Benanti, Mike Portnoy, and myself, of course. 
brought together by the uh, massive pull of the Beatles and, of course, very good friends now as a result. So we're going to do a kind of talk about 2017, the year in review. Uh, Good years for all of us, I have to say. And, Mike, uh, you uh, starting off with Sons of Apollo, your brand-new band. Yeah, we launched this year. We actually haven't even uh, played live yet. So, uh, yeah, but the album came out this year. We announced the band, and it's pretty exciting. Just just a quick overview. How did you guys start this? Because it's like obviously Derek Sherinian's in it, Bumblefoot, yourself, it's it, Billy Sheehan, and Jeff Scott Soto. Jeff Scott Soto. It's a very prog style, almost uh, all star lineup, so to speak. I guess it's it's made up of all guys I've been in other bands with, other than Jeff. But I was with with Derek and Dream Theater. I was I am in Winery Dogs with Billy. I've done Metal Allegiance tours with with Bumblefoot. So. It was basically, you know, just an idea to put together this band of, of amazing players and see what the hell we can come up with. Huge buzz, though, I'd have to say, like kind of the return of Mike Portnoy to to, to Prague metal world. Yeah, I guess it's 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 been seven years now since uh, since I left the old act, <laughs> I say, and uh, it's, you know, it's like like the song says, it's it's good coming home. It's like coming home. Cool, man. It's, I'm excited to hear hear it. Obviously, the record is out. It's great. You're playing some crazy stuff. And Charlie Anthrax had another big year, but mostly touring. Uh, I know you guys just finished up in South America. I think the band at this point is probably almost bigger than you've ever been. You know, it's funny because uh, how the cycles just kind of come back, you know, and uh, 1987, 2017, it's, uh, <laughs> it's happening again. You know, which is great. It's kind of a resurgence. And uh, I find in in this business, if you stick around long enough, uh, people start really appreciating you all the way around because there's always ups and downs. But if you just it, it's like Olivia Harrison said, how do you stay married? Well, just don't get divorced. If you just <laughs> <laughs> if you just don't break up pretty soon, people appreciate you. And now here you are, uh, like you said, with with the biggest year anthrax has probably had in a long time. You know, sometimes you, you uh we all take this this gift we have for granted, and um, you know there'll be a certain show where you're not paying attention to the audience, and you're just kind of zoning in on your own thing, and you're just reliving why you do this in the first place. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It could be the, the when you all play in unison together, and it just makes the sound. And it's like, yeah, that's it. You mm-hmm. know. That's the drug, absolutely, absolutely. But uh, we're talking this because we happened to all watch uh, the other day the movie I, Tanya, which came out. Uh, well, actually, it's not even out. It's, it's of course, is the kind of the, the biopic on, uh, on Tanya Harding. And I got it in the mail because uh, I'm part of the Screen Actors Guild. Uh, Mike was very depressed because you did not get it in the mail. Um, <laughs> But, but so, I, yeah. so I went to your house and stole your copy. I think you did. But we all watched it on the same night, and I think that's kind of what spurred this. I said, we could probably do a podcast just on that movie alone. And then, of course, Mike took it to the next level with the whole best of uh, 2017. But let, let's jump right in. I, Tanya, God, what a great movie. Like, it just blew my mind on how it was filmed, how they did it. Obviously, the great uh, performances from Margot Robbie and, uh, and uh, Allison Janney. But it, it just really blew my mind because I kind of heard a little bit about it, but didn't know much. And had they not sent it to me, I probably wouldn't have even have watched it. But uh, what a great movie. It took a, a subject which you wouldn't think could be so 
epic, <laughs> and it mm-hmm. made an epic film out of it. It had the, the total Goodfellas or Boogie Nights kind of epic feel to it. You know, a wall-to-wall soundtrack of killer music. The direction was incredible. The camera was all over the place. It was just, it was one of those films that just popped, and it was like over a subject subject that you would probably least expect to be interesting. I mean, I guess, you, you know, the, what happened was, was pretty interesting, and it was pop culture stuff for the early 90s, but, uh, the, you know, what they did with this film took it to a whole new level of filmmaking, and for me, it's one of my top three of the year but by far. I like what you said, too, when you, when you mentioned it's almost like the Boogie Nights of figure skating, how they, they break the fourth wall a lot, and there's a lot of... And Goodfellas was like that as well. I did not expect that. I guess I, I, I got a feel from the trailer. Once I saw the trailer and I heard the music, when you hear, like, rock music in a, in a, in a film, and especially when it's wall-to-wall, like American Hustle did that and Boogie Nights does it and uh, Dazed and Confused, everybody wants some movies like that. I don't know. That, that strikes a chord with me. All of my favorite movies have had that kind of wall-to-wall soundtrack. This movie had Chicago and, and uh, Fleetwood Mac, and, and uh, it was just song after song after song. Uh, and usually movies like that, it just strikes a chord with me. It puts me in a certain place in time, just kind of brings back, you know, a, a whole vibe. It's funny because um, I was having this discussion the other day with someone about the um, the days of MTV when even if a song wasn't memorable, the video was memorable and it made you almost like the song because it gave it a visual. Right. You know what I mean? Um, and I feel maybe that's what's been going on with, with uh, films. I mean, Scorsese used to do that all the time when he used to have this kind of montage of footage with a song being played like the Stones' Monkey Man, which was mm-hmm. never a big Stone song, but when it was in that movie, uh, the, to me the song, I, I appreciated it in a totally different way. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. It's, it's the same thing that Guardians of the Galaxy did in both of their the installments, like Brandy, You're a Fine Girl, like what a great tune, and never, ever would have thought about putting it. Tarantino did it too, I mean, with Miserloo and all those great tunes. Uh, stuck in the yeah, middle with you. With, uh, will you ever hear "Caught in the Middle with You" the same way again? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Right. I, I also interesting. I thought about I Tanya with the soundtrack you mentioned. All of the songs were '70s based tunes, but the movie mm. was a '90s movie. I thought that was an interesting choice. Mm. True. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, one of the first it, it, tracks. Actually, one of the first tracks was, what is it, uh, uh, Devil Woman? Is yeah. Cliff Richards or Cliff? Cliff Richards, yeah. Yeah. That, that came on, although that was a flashback scene, so that was a scene that took place in the 70s. But I remember, like, when that scene came on, I was like, oh, my God, I haven't heard this song since I was, like, 12 years old. It just totally took me back to the 70s. We were actually going to yeah. cover that song, Fozzie, a couple of years ago because I heard it on the radio. I was like, what a great tune this would be to cover. So now there's a race between Anthrax, Sons of Apollo, and Fozzie to see who covers <laughs> Devil Woman first. <laughs> but I mean, it, And the Bar- Barracuda, too, when that came on, that was another classic. That, that and goosebumps. That was such a huge uh, moment in time when you think about, like, 94, 94. 95 when that went down uh, it really was kind of that and oj were the two big uh, events and i just you guys will understand this because you spent a lot of time in japan as well i just remember that that she became kind of this 
like super villain in Japan where they took it and just went to a different level. And all I remember is this completely this crazy, wacky Japanese voice is going, Harding, do the side. I said, Harding. <laughs> and this is Harding. Like, just like Godzilla. She's coming to kill you. Harding. <laughs> 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 oh my god i felt bad for her though i wonder if she had anything to do with it because they really paint her and especially her mom to be really just kind of just horrible people yeah i mean i, I wonder how true that is but if, if you're going going by what this movie portrays she's practically the victim to be honest mm-hmm. because you know if what they're saying is true she had no knowledge of this attack happening she grew up being abused by her mom she grew then she went into a marriage where she's getting abused by her husband and then her entire career gets taken away from her. So I hate to, you know, yeah. portray her like a, like a, like the victim, but it, it almost that was that way in this film. She almost was exactly. Um, so we're talking about, I, ha- I, ha- I, ha- I, um, <laughs> but, but, and I know Mike, you are the king of lists with your, uh, your OCD personality. So what other movies, uh, do you have as your favorites of 2017? Yeah. I mean, I, I live to make my year end lists <laughs> and I usually just do film TV and, and albums, but, um, and usually come like the last week in December, the race is on because that's when all the, the end of year movies are coming out and like, for instance, when we get off the phone, I'm going to see the new P.T. Anderson film, Phantom Thread. So I assume that's probably going to make my list. But uh, I, Tanya is definitely uh, at the top of my list. And two others that would make up my top three are uh, uh, Blade Runner and uh, a film called uh, Three Billboards outside Epping, Missouri. Mm. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it was absolutely phenomenal. I heard about that movie. Tell me a little bit about what it's about. It's... Uh, it's about a mother who's grieving uh, uh, her daughter being uh, killed, and and she puts up these signs, and it, it's just it, it's very Coen Brothers esque, you know. Definitely has a Coen Brothers vibe, and maybe that's because Francis McDormand's in it. Kind mm-hmm. of just conjures, always conjures up Coen Brothers vibes. But, Woody um, Harrelson's in it. It was too. just really, really well done. Sam Sam Rockwell's in it. He he always plays a bad, a great bad guy. Uh, it was just really, really awesome. Definitely one of my favorites of the year. And what was the other one that you mentioned? And Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Just for, just for its mammoth, you know, the look of it. I mean, I'm a big fan of uh, Denis Villeneuve, the, the director, great mm-hmm. Canadian director. He's about to do the new Dune as well, which I'll probably pass on. But, um, <laughs> yeah, the look of Blade Runner was just absolutely incredible. It was almost like, you know, it's pretty likely we're not going to be around 30 years from now. And this was a really good chance to see what the future is going to be like after we're gone. It was just incredible. Um, yeah, I, I didn't see that one. I wanted to see it, especially since my good friend Dave Batista is in it. Um, but it, it's really interesting to me how Harrison Ford, after, you know, he's got the reputation of being kind of sour, shall we say. But in the last two to three years, he reprises, you know, Han Solo, and then he reprises Rick Decker. I think that's... It's pretty cool. Indiana Jones as well. He went it, back to that too. Is he really? Well, he did a couple of years ago. Oh, a couple he years did the ago. One, yeah. Right, right, right. But it seems like recently he kind of paid those homages to the characters that people wanted to see him play, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, Charlie, you got some movies of the year that you enjoyed? Um, I'll tell you the movies I didn't enjoy. I, I didn't enjoy the uh, the new Star Wars movie. Really? <laughs> mm. Okay, let's talk about that. Why didn't you like it? Um, I felt it went back to. Uh, 
making movies to sell toys. And uh, I didn't like a lot of stuff that went on in the movie. I thought the director did a horrible job. Hmm. In what way? Just the way with his, with his choices? Well, okay. So before this movie, you had um, The Force Awakens, and then you had Rogue One. Rogue One, to me, was probably the best Star Wars movie since Empire hmm. Strikes Back. And I always say this, that was a movie for the adult Star Wars fan, but also the kid, too. Same with The Force Awakens. When I saw The Force Awakens, I, I had my daughter with me, and I watched the movie through her eyes. Mm-hmm. So I appreciated it on a different level. I appreciated it on the level that an, a, an, a t- you know, a 10-year-old was watching it. Same the way I would watch it when I was younger. This new movie, man, I don't know. I just think they totally missed the mark here. And I don't like the way the Luke character just kind of, I don't know, like. I, I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, but I'm sure at this point people have seen it and knows that he, he Luke is gone after this. And it just... It didn't sit right with me. You know what bothered me? Uh, uh, like, like I said, for, for me, there, there was some great stuff in. I thought the the mineral planet crate was was an amazing planet. I thought there was a couple of ma- awesome battle scenes. Laura Dern's kamikaze light speed, you know, attack was great. But what bothered me? There was two big things that bothered me. Well, actually, three big things. One, what the f- happened to Carrie Fisher's nose? <laughs> And Mark Hamill's. Mark Hamill's nose is pretty wacky, too, actually. I don't know what the hell happened. If you look at Carrie Fisher, she's got this giant schnoz. If you look at her before, she never had it. It's like she got a reverse nose job. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what happened. Well, but- we know Mark Mark Hamill was in an accident back in the day. And right, but it didn't even look that yeah. bad in, in, in Empire and, and Jedi. I don't know. Well, and the but thing- the, the thing about Carrie Fisher is that the nose didn't bother me. The Mary Poppins scene bothered me when she was floating in the air. That oh was like, yeah, what yeah, the yeah. hell is this? That, that was the perfect out. They should have done a rewrite when Carrie passed to just leave her out there because that was. I thought that was the moment. I thought, okay, wow, okay, that was that was. So did I. Kind I of agree. The right way for her to go out. I, you know, it, it it drove me crazy because you know the, the whole space ghost routine. Uh, because now, so now Jedi's are are, are 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 immortal. They can breathe in space. We've never heard any allusion to this. If there was one seed dropped in in Star Wars, for New Hope, for example, like you know, you can fly through space or just anything, never been acknowledged before. But now all Jedi's can just fly through space. If that's the case, why didn't Obi Wan do that years ago, or, or or Luke Skywalker do it years ago when they were in Jeopardy? That, that and Princess right. Leia was also the least. Jedi Master of all the Skywalkers. Right. You know, like, she never really even utilized that in any of these films, you know? Yeah, if you go... I mean, that scene when she floats and all that, it just negates so much prior to this. Yes. And it's just like... Yeah. And, it, and it's like, oh, so now we're supposed to believe that anyone with a, a Jedi Dakota ring, you know... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as the as the force, I mean, what the fuck? Yeah, that 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 drove me nuts to that point. Um, and also, too, the other one that really bothered me was they made a big point of showing the X-wing fighter in the water in the ocean. And of course, right. one of the most famous scenes is Yoda pulling the 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 X-wing fighter out of the swamp in Dagobah. Why the hell didn't Luke do that and then fly to crate on his own and show up on his own physically? There was no reason for him to be there as a hologram. I didn't understand that. 
Yeah. That whole thing, too, was just, like, I don't know, unnecessary. That was just a twist. I, I thought, like, once again, that could have been the best ending for him as well. He does this whole battle only to not be there and then die. Right. You know? It right. just, just floats away. Like, I thought he would pull, like, I, I, if you would have asked me, okay, what's going to happen, Chris, when I saw, okay, he's going to pull the X-Wing out of the water, he's going to show up and create, and he's going to just demolish the entire force because he is the master Jedi. He's the chosen one. There's no, you know, light, uh, laser beam that can kill him because he, he would deflect them all and, and, and make the Adat Walkers shoot each other. Like, that's what I thought was going to happen. And then when it didn't, and then he just dies at the end with the, his cloak floats away into the wind. I was like, that's lame, man. What a ripoff. What a jip, as we used to say. Right. So. Hey, that's exactly what I thought, too. It's like I, I, I've invested so much time and money. <laughs> yeah. This, and this is how they're going to kill off Luke. You know, it's just like we, it was pretty weak. We grew up with these characters. and It was great to see them again. And like I said, don't get me wrong. I enjoyed a lot of the movie, but those are the two big things that it's hard for me to get through. Because um, I just don't like plot uh, plot holes like I that. I think they had the payoff. Force Awakens had those moments. It was like great to see Han Solo back. Yeah. It was great to see Princess Leia and, and Luke in the last scene. And you know, any any time like Chewie reappeared mm-hmm. or C three PO R two D two, those were great moments in the Force Awakens. It was well done. And this time around, it was like all that stuff. All like you said, all that investment was just thrown away. Thrown away. Yeah. The good news is that J.J. Abrams is coming back for nine, so hopefully he could bring some of the magic of seven over. Oh. But I also I just posted this a few days ago. It dawned on me. It's like we lost Han in episode seven. We lost Luke in episode eight. But it's it's crazy that the t- those are the two guys that are still alive, and then the one that's alive going into nine <laughs> is Leia, who's not with us in real life. So it's kind of a strange, ironic twist there. Maybe they'll do one of those digital death puppets for her, like they did with uh, Grand Moff Tarkin with Peter Cushing in uh, last year's, where he's like. A- well, they they did it with Carrie Fisher in, in Rogue yeah, One as well. They did too, as a young one. Uh, back into movies that I enjoyed. Um, it's funny because I just Googled, you know, best of 2017 because I'm not as uh, – I don't have the memory that Mike does. But two movies that stood out I thought were great. One was Get Out. Did you guys see Get oh, Out? Yeah. That was uh, – do you see that, Charlie? Yeah, yeah. That's good. I thought that was really well done uh, because, once again, such a weird twist. You didn't really see it coming. Anytime there's a movie that I watch, you know, and after seeing, you know, thousands of movies as all of us have, anytime I can get surprised and kind of locked into something – I really love it. My favorite scene about that, because I had to watch it twice, because I like movies like that where you watch it once, you don't know what's going to happen, then you watch it again, was the uh, the o- uh, old man just running all over the place, the old man, Jan- uh, Greenskeeper guy, because obviously he's got the young spirit, so now he can he can run again. I just thought that was great. He's just running everywhere, and you're like, why the f*** is this guy running all over the place? It's because he's been... <laughs> That's pretty funny. He, he, I, I, you know... You, you mentioned I mentioned the worst movie, but my favorite movie was It. I, I really oh, enjoyed It. Nice, I it was done really well. They, yeah, they did a good job of that. I thought because uh, it's really hard for a book like that to be made into a movie, and I thought the real genius of it was to put it in two parts, and one is yep. the, is the kids, and the other is the adults. That was really well done. What'd you think, Mike? I didn't see it actually. I'm not okay. a, I'm not a Stephen King fanatic like I know you guys are. So I, I actually didn't see it. it. It's well done. And like I said, the, the, the biggest problem with it, I found, was that they made a TV movie for it back in, I think, 1990s when it came out. And there's only so much you can do with a TV movie, a TV budget, especially back then. 
So Tim Curry was great, but it was very campy. It was very cheesy. Uh, I think it, there was some some you had to kind of cleanse the palate for that. But they did a, a great job um, with that. And once again, this kind of resurgence of all these really talented kid actors made for a great movie. Yeah, it was like. Uh, you know, uh, some of the kids, or I, gu- I guess one or two of them, were from Stranger Things, and yeah. they were cast in this movie, too. Uh, and they did a great job. I mean, the ensemble that was those kids, the losers, I thought that really carried the movie. And it was the the clown, you know? Yeah. Pennywise, uh, the guy who portrayed him, just did a great, creepy job as well. Yeah, and it's almost like when you play the Joker, it's hard to kind of live up to what Jack Nicholson did, and then of course what Heath Ledger did, and uh, what's his name, Skarsgård. He he did a, a hell of a job of kind of cleansing that uh, once again, cleansing the palate of uh, of what Tim Curry did, and kind of making his own thing. So, and it's interesting too because they're doing the the adult movie, and now I heard uh, um, uh, what's the guy's name, Christian Bale is going to be in it, a couple guys like that. So they they're going to bring kind of some more A listers in for for part two. So um, oh, cool. another uh, another movie I liked, uh, if you guys saw this one, was Split. Did you see that? Which one? What's the one? It was M. Night Shyamalan's newest one. Um, oh, I didn't see that either. Oh, you never saw Split? Split? No, no. Or, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Charlie, did you see it? No, is that kind of like a Silence of the Lambs? It kind of is, but it's got this, um, the dude, uh, gosh, I can't remember what his name is. I'll have to check it. I'll Google it right now. But he, he plays, uh, he's got a split personality. So it is very oh, much yeah. like a science. James, McEl- James McAvoy. Yeah. He did an unbelievable job. Uh, it's really worth checking out. And to me, it was an airplane movie because I don't trust M. Night Shyamalan Ding Dong anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I think he, uh, That's what I call him, too. <laughs> he lost his, uh, he lost his uh, street cred after making 12 really shitty movies. Yeah. But this one is worth checking out. Uh, it's really, really well done. But the ending... I, I don't really want to spoil it for you, but it, it, it ends with this really great tag where you realize that the split universe is similar to it's the same universe as his unbreakable universe, which is probably the last great M night Shyamalan movie. Mm. So uh, oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's def- cool. Definitely worth checking out. I'm not going to spoil it for you guys, but that, that was another one I thought was great. So did uh, you guys see baby driver? I didn't see that one. Uh, yeah. Yet. Yeah. Oh, it was great. It was great. I, was, I saw that on an airplane, although I would have definitely preferred it in a theater, but that was the last airplane movie I saw, and it was it blew me away. I was blown away by it. Isn't that another movie that's based around music as well? Yeah, big time. Totally. Yeah, I have to see that one. That was on my list of things to see, but I haven't checked it out yet. It's funny because I fly Delta all the time. They have the same freaking movies for the last three months. Delta, change up your movies, man. It's brutal. Hmm. Same. I've, I've watched the Chicago documentary about 50 times already. Have you guys seen <laughs> I love that one. That's such a great one. That's a. Um, did you guys see that movie, Battle of the Sexes? No. No. Oh, is that it's based Billy, on uh, Billie Jean Billie King? Billie Jean King, oh. Bobby uh, Riggs movie. Remember they? Yeah. Who plays Billie Jean King? Um, what's her name? Uh, Kate Blanchett. No. No. Because um, Steve Steve Carell is uh, is uh, uh, Billy uh, Bobby Riggs, right? Yeah. Have to check. Yeah, what's her name? She was in Zombieland and uh, Emma Stone. Emma Stone, that was it. Yeah, there we go. That's another one to the list to check out. Uh, let's move over to TV, Mike. What do you got on your list? Oh man, it was a great year for TV. Oh, it's I mean, unbelievable. I think TV is is better than film these days, to be honest. Like last few years, 
But for me, although this is probably going to change in the next 24 hours because they just released the latest uh, season of Black Mirror just today. Hmm. So either today or tomorrow, I'm going to binge that, which is definitely one of my favorite shows. Uh, so it's likely to crack crack my list. But what I have pre-Black Mirror is uh, Twin Peaks in the number one spot. I just can't not put that in the number one spot. Uh, then number two was Dark, this amazing series on Netflix, uh, German show, uh, which yeah. was very Twin Peaks meets Lost. And then the third spot, it's a toss-up between Fargo and The Leftovers, both of which were incredible. So, I mean, we could talk about any or all of those, but, man, each one of them was, like, you know, the best cinematic experience you could have on a, on a small screen. It's just every one of those shows was so well-made. I haven't seen uh, – I saw obviously Fargo uh, season one and season two. I watched the first episode of three and didn't uh, didn't catch it. i got to get back into it again, though, because I thought the first yeah, season – Yeah, Ewan McGregor plays, uh, plays multiple characters in it, and it's just every shot. And once again, I, I mentioned it earlier, but the Coen brothers, and once again, this is another reference, but – and even though Fargo is a Coen Brothers film, they're not involved with the show. Right. But it just carries on the Coen Brothers' like stamp of yes of, weirdness. Of, and yeah, it's just just so incredibly well made. It, it's interesting because, like you said, I loved the first season because I thought, like, oh, what are they going to do? Are they going to make the same characters? They were not the same characters, but the, the tone was the same, and 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 the feel yeah. is the same. And I just I just have to throw this in here and try to look at this. I love the fact that. Uh, I think it was Scott that pointed out that Ray Ray Ranson and uh, Freddie Mercury are real life Coen Brothers characters. <laughs> <laughs> there are a couple of merch guys that we know, and they've been friends since they were like in high school, and they just do merch all the time. And they're so real life Coen Brothers weird, goofy characters. But um, uh, yeah, so I have to check out season three. But what's some what's what's the other ones that you mentioned, Mike? I, I give us a little bit of a plot. Well, description. number one is Twin Peaks, and, and Charlie, I know. You were a Twin Peaks fan back in the day. I'm curious your thoughts on, on the, the return. But personally, I mean, 18 hours of David Lynch, I mean, that's a dream. It's a dream come true to revisit this world 25 years later. For me, this is not only my favorite show of the year, it's my favorite show of all time. Wow. And uh, it was just a full-on Twin Peaks year for me. So, Charlie, I'm curious your thoughts. On Twin Peaks. Well, you know how excited I was, too. I mean, I couldn't wait. This was, you know, again, going back into this the Twin Peaks universe, and it was just the greatest thing. So I start watching the first episode, and I'm completely loving it. And that's the truth. About three, four episodes in, I'm loving it. And then all of a sudden, dude, it just took, took an exit somewhere. And I was like, what just happened, you know? It's, it's that David well, Lynch eight, thing where it's like, was I don't know what I'm doing TV. right now, so I'm going to get off the highway for a little bit. Oh, but I'm going to return again. And it, was, it just kept me like, what is going on here? And and then it came back a bit, but uh, I don't know if it was like the same feeling I had when it first happened as now. But again, I'm with you with any Twin Peaks show is is a great Twin Peaks show, you know? Did, yeah, isn't Black Lodge I mean, uh, based on Twin Peaks, Charlie? The absolutely, Anthrax yeah. song Black Lodge. That's one thing I always loved about Anthrax is you guys always wore your influences with is the Stephen King lyrics or, or the Black Lodge and all that sort of thing. That's a, a pretty good reference. But for David Lynch, for me, man, I saw Eraserhead head when I was in college, and 
worst piece of shit I've ever seen in my life. And so I, I got turned off a table. I'm wearing an Eraserhead t-shirt right now, actually. <laughs> that little alien guy. And it's like, ah, oh, I just never got uh, David Lynch. But I thought that was pretty cool once again that they re- revisited that, uh, that that series. So that's cool for, for, for long-term fans like you guys. Like Stories I was such a me. crazy Twin Peaks fan that back in the day, we would schedule days off in around a Seattle show so that Scott and I could drive up to Snoqualmie. Oh, really? <laughs> to go have uh, cherry pie at the <laughs> diner up there and just go to the <laughs> falls and just do Twin Peaks things like that. And uh, that's how insane it was. It was so insane that we got the Bob character to be in our only video. That was one of the craziest thing so we were so god twin peaks was it <laughs> it's it's cool just as a quick aside that when you're in a rock band or you get to you know or wrestling or when you're on the road a lot and get to tour around that you get a chance to do stuff like that like we've all walked across the abbey road or you get to go to the set for for twin peaks and uh sons of anarchy i mean that's that's kind of a cool little uh perk to being on the road all the time yeah yeah it's it's just totally. fun stuff that you that's know that's cool that you that to return I mean they they had Bob popping up in kind of uh mystical ways, but you know to not have Frank Silva uh, uh, alive to be on the show because Bob used to scare the crap out of me in the early, the original Twin Peaks he was just absolutely terrifying yeah he was. Yeah. Yeah, well, like, like I said, this is kind of the David Lynchian way of doing things. So, Charlie, what do you got on your uh, your TV list? Um, well, of course, Twin Peaks is there, but I think my favorite show would probably, I'd have to say, Game of Thrones just outdid themselves oh, this yeah. last season. Unbelievable. Um, what, I, it's yeah. just one of those things where you just cannot wait to watch the next episode and the things that they pull off, I think... It's probably it, it it is probably the best show on TV. You know what I mean? I agree, and it's funny too because now that I love the fact that there's an end game to it. I love the fact that you know it's not going to overstay its welcome like some other shows, and we're going to talk about those, I'm sure. But also, I went back because my wife just got into the game after I was telling her about it for years, and she would never watch it. She finally didn't binge watch the whole damn season in like a month or the whole damn series. But I love the fact that what they're building up to was all discussed in the very first episode. Winter is coming. Uh, you got to watch exactly. the White Walkers. All of that stuff was discussed in the very first episode, and now here we are six, seven years later, and it's all coming to fruition. It's just brilliant storytelling, especially since now they have to basically write it on their own since since the, 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 the series has out, outlived the books, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's, it all comes full circle about Ned Stark. Yeah. Um, now explain that, Charlie. Which, which, which I love. I mean, Ned Stark was such a amazing character in the first season, and all of a sudden he's gone, and yeah. you're like, "What the hell?" You know, how could they do this? But yet, his character just lives on throughout each each season. It, it, it's an amazing show. Um, the, the other show that I must say that I love is I, I love Stranger Things. Yeah, I, I thought season two was just as good, if not better. I thought than it was better. One. I, I thought it was better. It's great. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Um, and it's funny, too, because you're... How old is your daughter now, Charlie? She's 
she's 11. She loves this show. So my daughters are also 11. We should have our daughters hang out sometime because my daughters are so into Stranger Things, which is cool because it's one of those shows, and I'm sure you have some too with your kids, Mike, that there's that gray area between, uh, you know, adolescent or pre-adolescent and then guys of our age, and we can all meet in the middle on this great storytelling and appreciate it. It's almost like it brings the family together. We don't have to watch Hannah Montana or that bullshit anymore. <laughs> we can we can watch something that stimulates all of us, you know? Yeah, I actually just watched uh, Harold and Maud with my daughter a few days ago. You said I mean, that, yeah. My, my daughter's 20, so I'm able to watch, like, <laughs> deep films about suicide and life. You know, Happy from, films. From the 70s with her now. But, yeah, I mean, when you could share TV and movies and music with your kids, it's, it's the greatest. Um, did, did you did you guys get into this last season of Curb? I haven't watched it yet. I heard mixed reviews. I, I watched it. it. It was awesome. Yeah. You, you, you kind of a little bit mad on it, Mike. Did you like it? I mean, you know, I, it's great seeing – Seeing it back, I love everything Larry David does, but it, start, it started to feel like the last couple of seasons of Seinfeld, where it was just, you know, kind of going through the motions. I don't know. I, w- I wasn't crazy about it, but I'm glad to have it back, though. But you lo- you loved it, Charlie? Yeah, I just, you know, again, I he's just amazing, and the people that he gets to surround him. Yeah. Uh, I love the, uh, who's the guy who does, um, Lynn, what's his name? The Hamilton guy, Funkhauser. Oh, Lynn, no, Lynn, he, Lynn, the the, Lynn, the guy who wrote oh, Hamilton. Yeah, Lynn, yeah. Uh, he's on it, and he's he's great on it. You know, it just yeah, yeah. has such a yeah, great thing between him and Larry. Yeah, absolutely, exactly, exactly, and it's just, I, I'm I'm excited about that because I love just like you said, Larry David. I, he, the smart thing that he does is the same thing he did in Seinfeld, which is surround yourself with incredible characters to where. He doesn't have to really do anything. You know what I mean? It's very typical, like Larry David on the show is almost like Larry David in real life. He just has to be himself, and he surrounds himself with such talented performers that he didn't really have to do much. That's the, that's the secret. No, he just makes us all uncomfortable. We sit there and watch the show, and we just get uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and the sad thing is, he, I, I personally relate to all the shit he pulls. I don't know about you guys. Oh, <laughs> man, that's so bad, and I totally can relate to that. My, my all-time favorite still is, uh, well, the pop-in is number one, but number two is when you go to someone's house and they want to give you the tour. It's like, I don't want to see I don't want the tour. I don't want to see your house. I don't give a shit about your house. <laughs> uh, hey, I'll tell you one show this this year that I did not like, and I know it's a show that all three of us I know it normally like, but man, I think The Walking Dead is just uh, uh it's it is The Walking Dead. Terrible, terrible show. <laughs> uh, and of all the things to do, is the cliffhanger to kill off Carl, who I think uh, was one of the only interesting characters on the show. What a stupid move. And it was so tagged on. I mean, it was just, it wasn't like you know, it, being bit by a walker. I mean, come on. That was, it was right. ridiculous, totally unnecessary. And then I heard like Scott Gimple saying, well, it was a, a story driven decision. Bullshit. A story driven decision would, would never have done something like that. I mean, that was ridiculous. That was a ratings or a, or a, you know, a gimmick yeah. driven decision. Charlie, what do you think? Uh, shark jumping. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 You know, to, to me, uh, you know, when you're talking about Stranger Things, for example, one of the draws is that the kids have a big following, you know, and Carl, I mean, that guy had a following. And just to do that the way they did it after a whole season of nothing, 
And Negan, oh my God, uh, talk about going from the from the first to the worst. Yeah, all out bored. It was hashtag all out bored. Yeah, all out war. I mean, kill the f- already. He was great for about two episodes. Then he became like this horrible, you know, version of himself. I just so disappointed. Let me say this: I don't know if you guys watched it or not, but um, I've been watching Fear of the Walking Dead. You guys ever watch that? I didn't stick with it. The last four episodes of season three of Fear the Walking Dead were better than the entire season eight of The Walking Dead. If anybody Mm -hmm. is on the fence, it was so well done, uh, super suspenseful, well-written, great characters, very, 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 very cool stuff. And like I said, I was about ready to give up on Fear the Walking Dead, and I gamely watched episode seven, and suddenly eight, nine, and ten just blew me away. So there hmm. is, like I said, if you guys are on the fence about it, I would highly suggest checking it out. I was even going to tweet about it the other day how Fear the Walking Dead just blew Walking Dead away this season. Uh, but, but other than that, like you said, Walking Dead indeed, very aptly named for sure. Hmm. How can they fix it? I don't think they oh. can. Well, now they're crossing over. Now they're going to bring Morgan over to Fear. I, I mean, I think that's an interesting idea to yeah. show some of these characters' pre-stories or backstories maybe crossing paths with fear. I think that's interesting. But, man, taking Walking Dead into the future, I don't know. I mean, like, I love Negan. I thought that his first episode, you know, the Best episode. You know, famous episode was yeah. one of the, the, the most intense things I've ever seen. I mean, it was dread and yeah. fear and disgust and intensity, and then that was it. That, you know, and since then he's been a comic book character. Well, yeah, <laughs> no pun intended, but, every, <laughs> but you not know, in a good way. He's been, you know, making spaghetti with Carl. It's like, come on, yeah. I want to, I want to be scared shitless. I want to be poo poo pan city with him. I don't think they should have done that to the Carl character. I think um, it's almost insulting, yeah, to, to the character. Uh, you know what I mean? The kid's been through so much, and then. It's like you're going to give him a cold and he's going to die. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just like, I don't know, just getting bit. It was just kind of like, what the hell, man? Do you really expect us to go along with this? I, I I don't like it. I mean, my favorite character still on the show is Rick. Rick is a badass, and I, I don't think it should have been done to his character either. You know, like his son, he's made it through all this, and then he's going to get bit. I don't know, just... But that's, in the comic just, books, he's still alive, like 50... 50 issues later, I mean, he's, I, I always assumed The Walking Dead was his story, that eventually well, Rick would go and Carl would be taking this into the future. I always thought Carl was going to be John Connor. He was going to be the one to save the human race. And another thing yeah. about the whole thing that drives me nuts is Rick's whole, I mean, he's still got uh, the, the baby's name was Julia or whatever the hell her name is, but Judith. Judith. It's like now that Carl's gone, what does Rick have to live for? He was fighting for his family. Like I said, he's still got a daughter. I understand that. But the whole idea yeah, but Judith was... Judith is probably Shane's daughter as well. Well, that's the thing, right? So so my point is that you know his whole crux of this show is something that we can all identify with his fathers. He's doing the best he can to try and fight through this, this horrible situation to keep his family safe and keep his family alive. Now that Carl's dead... Like what do you got? To, what, who cares? What are you gonna do? Just go and and go on a rampage and you know I I, I just don't I, I just lost a lot of faith and a lot of yeah. trust and a lot of respect for that show. Um, you know so um, let's move on to uh, to music, Mike. What do you got for your favorites of this year? Oh man, I mean my list usually goes from prog to pop to metal. Uh, so I'll, I'll give the metal 
I guess I'll stick with the metal picks because uh, some of the prog stuff is a little obscure. But uh, uh, I, I would say the top three for, for me this year were um, the the Mastodon album, Emperor of Sand. I loved it. I loved uh, uh, the Code Orange album. I just saw them live last night. I think they're incredible band. I mean, that's more like hardcore, sludgy, mm-hmm. dingy, but it's really original and unique. And uh, I also really like the Foo Fighters album, actually. Not not really metal, more polished commercial stuff. But, man, I think those guys just constantly deliver. I love everything they do. And what other album are you going to hear Paul McCartney playing drums on? <laughs> That's crazy. What a great call. Yeah. What a great call. Dude, that's a great uh, classic uh, Dave Grohl thing to do, right? And Taylor sings that song. So Taylor gets to say that, like, Paul McCartney's playing drums for, for his song. I mean, that's, that's insane. Yeah. Uh, Charlie, what do you got? Um, I have to say the, the, the thing I listened to the most this year, would the three that I've listened to the most this year, would have to be the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper reissue. Uh, I just kept playing it constantly and just discovering different things about it. Um, still, after all these years, still inspired by the Beatles. Um, mm. Love the Greta Van Fleet EP, the first one that they did. Just yeah, I, I, I must have turned more people onto that thing than, than anything, uh, and I don't mm-hmm. like it as well. Uh, it was just that I was so happy when I heard that for the first time, and to find out that they were like young kids. Yeah, and I'm like, ah, thank God that there is. <laughs> you know, there's a little town somewhere in Michigan. That, yeah. You know, these four kids grew up loving rock music, and here they are reproducing. It's amazing how stuff. kids so young could cop such an authentic, like '70s feel. I mean, they they nailed Zeppelin vibe, and you know, obviously they weren't alive. They, you know, parents may not even been alive when Zeppelin was around. Well, I like the fact too that the that they're actually having some success as well because it shows, you know, it's kind of scary right now, as you guys know. Being in a rock and roll band is not easy nowadays. Um, so it's good to see Greta Van Fleet being so young, only having this EP, but also being very successful uh, so far. You know, what, what, what's the follow up going to be like, and all that sort of thing, as always. But it's a good start, and it's I think it's very inspirational for other uh, young young guys trying to get into a band that you can actually do this and have some success and, and, you know, ipso facto, make a little bit of a career for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just, to me, it was a breath of fresh air Uh, because let's face it, music nowadays, man, you either have to, if if you're a young person nowadays, you either have to kind of go with the flow in order to be kind of cool and you have to like the things that they tell you 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 should like, but then there's the other kind of adolescent who just finds things on their own through, I don't know, maybe Spotify or word of mouth, or whatever. But I don't know. I just think that this was a breath of fresh air. Yeah, it's amazing. Another band like that is the Lemon Twigs, too. I know we've talked about them, too. But here you have two teenage kids that are copying, you know, Badfinger and, and the yeah. Beatles. And, you know, they're doing something that's totally not trendy of the norm you know they're they're it's old school and then they're getting it no i agree i agree with you on that and like i said i love the 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 um i love the star set record i love nothing more see with us with fozzy being so ensconced in the radio game as we have been over the last six months 
you're, I know all the radio bands now. And of course, before, I never would have listened to any of them. I'm, I'm not an Octane guy. But being in that world now, there's a lot of great bands. And rock radio for bands of that ilk uh, still matters and still makes a difference uh, whether you can get on top or not. So that Nothing More record was really well done. And of course, the Stone Sour uh, Hydrograd record as well, I thought were both really good. Um, and both became really big with, with the radio push that they got. Um, I want to give a little honorable mention. I know it came out at the end of 2017, and there's a couple songs that I don't like, but I think uh, uh, Hardwired is a great Metallica record, and I think Spit Out the Bone is, is one of my favorite Metallica songs I've heard in the last 15 years. That's Chris. Chris stands up for Metallica through Dickinson. <laughs> so you don't feel the same way. <laughs> well, I love... I thought it was good. It was it was good. I thought Death Magnetic was awesome. Oh wow! One, okay, I don't know. It was all right. It had its moments. Well, I will say this: I, I interviewed Bruce Dickinson a couple weeks ago, and I asked him what his favorite songs were to sing. And the first song he said was "Rhyme with the Ancient Mariner," and the second song he said was "Sign of the Cross," which is a Blaze Bailey song. That's what he said. What? There you go. I'm I'm justified. Vindication. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, about shows. What are some of your favorite uh, gigs that you guys saw this year? Charlie, you want to go first? I, I've been I've been catching up first. I don't know. Hey, Chris, was that was that ACDC show last year? <laughs> uh, that was September of last year. Yeah, but we, we can count it if you want. Okay, because that still sticks out of my mind as one of those shows that gave me goosebumps. It really blew me away because I remember feeling the same way. We saw uh, uh, ACDC in Madison Square Garden with Axel on vocals. And I remember thinking, I wonder what Scott and Charlie are going to think about this because you guys are ACDC fanatics. Um, and what was your opinion, Charlie? I, I was blown away. It was um, every time I'd be coming down from the last song, the next song would hit and I'd be back up again. You know what I mean? So it was... Uh, it was just amazing, you know, uh, and, you know, Axel took a, a bunch of shit for doing this. I, I was reading and stuff, and I would always say, just let's hear it, you know, let's, before anybody passes judgment on it, let's hear what it sounds like. And that's exactly what I did, and it was completely amazing. It was like one of the best shows, not just an ACDC show, but one of the best shows I've ever seen, and I'm so happy I was there in that moment. You know, and you were there too, and you felt the same way afterwards. I and I had seen that same tour about four months earlier with, uh, or maybe six months earlier with with Brian on vocals. And listen, we love Brian Johnson. Obviously, he's a legendary guy, but his voice at sixty eight or whatever it is is not what it was. Whereas Axel came in there and like a song like um, like uh, Hell's Bells. Oh my gosh, M maybe the hardest song to sing. For like anybody, it's so high and so powerful, and Axel nailed every single note of it. And then what I loved about it is he just afterwards just went back to the amps and just hung out. He didn't do anything that wasn't ACDC esque, and I thought that was exactly. a, a real brilliant kind of thing. And I think it helped him with Guns and Roses too. I think when he did the ACDC thing, he realized like, you know, you don't around when you're an ACDC. You show up on time, you do your gig, and that's the way it is. And it seems that that GNR at this point, has that same attitude. I think so, too, yeah. Um, I hope, uh, just because I love ACDC, I hope that there will be a record with the both of them together, just so real fans, you know, would yeah. have something. I, 
I'm hoping for that. I don't know. I'd rather hear a live, a live album. To me, and I know you guys are bigger ACDC fans than me, but, I mean, I, you know, Malcolm's gone. Phil's not there. Cliff isn't there anymore. He left. So it's, it's the Angus show. I don't know. So to me, I wouldn't want to hear a record. Uh, I would rather, if anything, maybe a live release with, with Axel just for, you know, just to have it for, you know, for, mem- for, for memory's sake or whatever. But I don't know. I, I, I'm not as much of a purist as you guys, but from where I stand, it's like, you know, they're, they're, it's just the Angus show. It's crazy to carry on at this point beyond, beyond here. That's just my opinion. I, I kind of think it always was the Angus show. And guys like us, obviously, we know the influence of Malcolm Young. But the average person on the street has no idea who those other guys are. They know Angus. They know the guy with the funny hat. Now it's Angus and Axl Rose. It could be the three of us on stage, which actually would be pretty freaking cool. But I don't think <laughs> do a Doobie Brothers with two drummers. Um, but I, I just think that, that at this stage of the game, um, the world is better with ACDC in it than with ACDC not in it. And I think one of Malcolm's final you know, decrees to Angus was, if you're going to continue on without me, you continue on until you're ready to stop. And if Angus wants to keep going and Angus and Axel, I think, is money, then more power to him. I'll be there the next time watching. So another show that I saw, uh, it's actually you're talking about this. I saw three stadium shows this year, and they're all, you know, legacy bands. And it was Guns N' Roses, it was U2, and it was Metallica. And all three of those shows were amazing. I know you saw U2, uh, Mike. Did you see him as well, Charlie? Yeah, yeah, I did. How was the show for you guys? That I mean, I was going to name that as my top concert of the year. I saw I saw the Joshua Tree show in uh, in uh, Brazil in Sao Paulo a few months ago, and it was just goosebumps. You know, they opened the show with you know Sunday Bloody Sunday, yeah. uh, 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 New Year's Day, yeah, uh, Bad Pride in the Name, in the of, name love. of Love. They come out like bam, 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 and then they start the Joshua Tree. It was like literally the first seven songs were all just monster classic songs, and and it was just incredible. Goosebumps the whole time. It was one of the best stadium shows I've ever seen, and they did four nights completely sold out in this eighty thousand you know capacity uh, stadium. So it was it was massive. It was it was amazing. I loved it. Charlie, um, I <laughs> I wasn't as happy about the show that that you guys saw i saw the show here in chicago and um i kind of felt it was a bit going through the motions a bit um i don't know i mean you two were always one of my favorite bands i saw six seven of those original joshua tree shows back in the day i was mm-hmm. such a huge U2 fan and we were on the same label so Oh yeah, if Island. they were playing Jersey, I'd go. If they were playing Connecticut, I'd go. If they were playing Boston, I'd go. You know what I mean? So, but I did like the what Mike was saying. The way they came on, I thought it was uh, really exciting and kind of punk rock. But yeah. for me, I felt I wish it was a little bit more intimate. I think those songs, I would love to have seen it in a smaller setting and not such a big thing. They were well, kind I think of that's what came out behind this huge thing. Songs. In the center, just like show nothing. I think they're trying to, trying to do that, you know? Trying to be a little punk rock. I, I think just you two, once again, 
just Bono, he really is a presence, just seeing him on stage. And obviously, a stadium is a little harder, because the last time I saw him, well, I saw that Claw show, too, which was ridiculously big. But just watching him just go, like, he he and Mick Jagger, to me, are the true frontmen that I've seen of rock and roll. Now, Paul Stanley's great, and, and, and I never saw Roth in his prime, but but those two guys, they become something ethereal when they go on stage. It's very, I'm not going to say godlike because it's not that, but it's very much, if you're talking what the definition of larger than life is, every eye is on them. I don't think I watched Adam Clayton and Larry Mullen Jr. once, and I might have seen Edge a couple times, but you can't take your eyes off Bono when he's on stage performing. Yeah. You know, sure. it really is there. Another show I want to bring up is, uh, I guess if you guys have ever seen 21 Pilots live, I've seen them so so many times because of my daughter. And that's a show that is just like, wow, they're totally thinking outside the box. Yes. I went to that show, and when I left, and you guys will both get this, especially you, Charlie, I said, uh, that show was one of the best shows I've ever seen, and it's an ACDC level. It's that good. They were so freaking good. I went because of my daughters as well. I like the songs I hear on the radio, but that show live with only two guys on stage and no guitar players blew my f-ing mind. I thought it was one of the best things I've ever seen. Yep. Wow. They, they use these very easy little tricks, like uh, like the, the thing where the guy had a drum battle against himself. Yeah, that's good. They do this thing, Mikey, where he, he, he's, uh, he plays, a, uh, they got a screen beside him, and he's you know re- recorded a, a video to drum solo, and then live he plays along with the drum solo that he's videoed, wow. which is so basic. Why, why haven't you guys thought of that? I saw Alex Van Halen do that a couple of years back, but but it was, it was a little different, but it was still effective. Um, my, my favorite thing that these guys do is the singer will do this thing where they wear these masks sometimes, yeah. and all of a sudden he'll be doing something on stage, and then the lights go out, and all of a sudden there's a spotlight on the opposite side of the arena, yeah, and boom, he's he's there. Yeah, it's the old bait wow. and switch, right? The old bait and switch. Another, yeah, and it's like, oh, okay, I'm uh, with it. You know, another good one was they put a, a a snare drum and a bass drum on a big plank, like a plank of wood, let's say, and a seat. So he gets on it and he starts playing this little drum solo, and then they pass the plank of wood over the crowd. So then every so he's kind of crowd surfing while he's playing a drum solo. Yeah. Just, Cool, cool shit like that, man. And the other one I want to bring up was uh, still great was uh, was Paul McCartney. I saw him in July. Obviously, his voice is getting a little taxed, but 80%, 85% is still there. Did you guys see Paul this year at all? I didn't see him this year. I've seen him in the last few years, but not this year. Yeah, still up to snuff, still holds the crowd in the palm of his hand. The only thing I noticed is he tells the same stories every 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 show now. But, you know, that's... Like I said, if it's, if it, that's what it takes for him to keep playing, then uh, then keep on playing, Paul. I think I saw one of my favorite shows of the year just last night. Uh, you know, going from talking about stadium acts, but uh, you know, the best club show I've seen in a long time was last night, and it was one uh, of Dillinger's the last shows here in New York, and Code Orange was opening, and it was just they've got to be two of the most insane energetic explosions to ever be on a stage, both of those bands. And uh, it was uh, amazing to see Dillinger do one of their last shows and then kind of pass the torch to, to Code Orange, who are the up-and-coming kids that are 
going to probably uh, carry on where they where they're leaving off. So it was an amazing show, absolutely insanity. What, what venue was that, Mike? In the Terminal Three. They're doing yeah. three nights. Last night was the second of the three, and tonight's the third, and, and very very last Dillinger show. That's cool. That's cool. Just as we get ready to wrap up here, let's just talk about a couple of the uh, of the deaths of the year. Obviously, some some huge names um, passing away this year, uh, and I think one of the biggest ones was um, was Tom Petty. Very much a surprise as well. No one really knew it. It's like I remember reminding me when when Glenn Fry passed away. It's like. I guess Glenn was sick, whereas Tom was not. But just kind of wake up one morning and, oh, yeah, Tom Petty's dead. It's like, what? Yeah, and the weird part about it is he wasn't dead. Um, people were pronouncing him dead, but he wasn't dead. Uh, he would have died later on, but um, it was a complete shock. I mean, it's like the guy just wrapped up a very successful tour, and that was it, man. He just had a massive heart attack. Yeah, but, like, like you just said, Charlie, that was a, a, a strange window of time. There was about a five or six hour period where you're looking at your social media and, you know, everybody's, you know, rest in peace, Tom Petty. Tom Petty's daughter is like online saying, no, he's alive, you know, slamming Rolling Stone for pronouncing him dead. And it, I guess it's a strange thing in this age of social media when, when news travels fast like that. And and it was just that weird window of time where you didn't know what was happening. And he, if he, he got to like watch his own death. If you, if, if you put on, yeah, I guess he was obviously unconscious and in a coma. But right. it, was, it was a strange situation that, that yeah, I, I've never seen before. I remember when Dio passed away, the same thing happened. They announced that he was dead, and they said, "Oh, nope, sorry, he's not dead." Because I'm one of those guys. Like when somebody passes away, if they mean something to me, I'll put up something, I'll post something or a picture or whatever. And I remember I did that with Dio, and it's like, he's not dead. I'm like, well, sorry, I didn't know. And then, well, he's dead. Well, which one is it? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how this this gets out there where he's dead, he's not dead. But um, I find with, with Petty as well that I've never met anybody, when you say, who's your favorite band? And they say Tom Petty. Nobody has ever said that. But everybody loves Tom Petty. Everybody loves Tom Petty. You know, uh, just a, a, like you said, it was just a, a really... Big shock. I think another one, uh, if you're going for, for influences on us, obviously, is Malcolm Young. We know he's been sick for years, so that wasn't as much of a surprise, but still uh, possibly the greatest riff writer in rock and roll history. It, it's weird. When we did that Loudwire thing, we had a little powwow on, at Soundcheck, and we talked about Malcolm Young. Yeah, that's How right. How are doing? And um, it was a very surreal time. That whole day and night for me, later on, you and I both posed for a picture with Tony Iommi. Yeah, that's and, a great shot. And I had this little conversation with Tony, just like maybe a two-minute conversation, basically telling him I love him. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just talking about the album Sabotage, because to me, Sabotage is a, is a Sabbath record that is unlike any of the other ones prior. It's a different type of record. And I think it was... Um, uh, you know, one of those moments where they changed. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure, for sure. And that, Mike, that was a pretty cool moment for me. Uh, Charlie had never met Tony Iommi, so I got to introduce Charlie to uh, Tony Iommi, and we took a wicked picture together. That was pretty cool. I, I met him back in the day when we did tours together, but it was just a very quick thing. This was a, a different, different time, vibe, and yeah. uh, I guess it was, you know how it is, you reflect back. Yeah. 
And it's like, uh, dude, I just got to tell you I love you. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of uh, any other legends you guys can think of, I mean, Hugh Hefner passed away, Adam West, uh, Harry. To, to me, the big one was, was Chris Cornell. Right. I think that was absolutely shocking, you know, because it was a suicide, you know, just uh, who would have ever saw that coming? It was just, I don't know, it really hit me hard. I was really up over that one for a few days it just it, it was so shocking yeah dude that, that kind of hit me too um i don't know so that, do you guys strange. know the uh uh euphoria morning album at all that his solo record that he did oh it yeah. is brilliant it's one of my favorite albums of all time it might even be in my top 10 of all time and after he passed everybody was listening to sound art listening to audio slave but for me i went to that his his uh, Euphoria Morning album, and it's just perfection. And both of you guys being Beatles fans, if yeah. you're not familiar with that album, it's a must-have. I mean, it's up there in terms of composition and production with with, with the great Beatles albums. It, it blows me away on that end too. It also, and it, to me, it all kind of started with the death of Andrew Wood. Charlie and I are huge Mother Love Bone fans, uh, and Andrew Wood, obviously being the singer of that band, he was also the roommate of Cornell. Uh, friends with all these guys and it just seems like ever since Andrew Wood died is like if you think of that that from uh, now it's Chris Cornell and then you go to Lane Staley and then you go to Wyland and then you go to Kurt Cobain all of those uh, singers of the biggest quote-unquote grunge bands all died and basically by drug overdoses or by their own hand it's a very depressing story when you want to delve into it and if I was uh, Pearl Jam I would put Eddie Vedder in a suit of armor at this point (laughs) (laughs) It's <laughs> not funny, but it's funny. I know it's terrible, right? But um, yeah, man. Like I said, there's a couple others from Bill Paxton to Harry Dean Stanton, George Romero, Chuck Berry, Fats Domino. You know, it seems I, th- I think and we can close it off on this. So many guys are seem to be passing away, famous people, because people are living longer now and still really involved in the scene. Whereas I think you know, ten, twenty years ago. People in their 40s and 50s, that was kind of the limit. But now you've got all the Mick Jaggers and the McCartneys and even guys like Glenn Fry and uh, Tom Petty in their 60s still performing, still playing, and still being relevant. I think you're going to see a lot more of our heroes uh, in music and in movies and everything in between passing away uh, at a higher frequency over the next few years. Oh, it's not going to slow down. The last two years, from Bowie to Prince to Chris Cornell, Glenn Fry, I mean, it's Lemmy. Lemmy, uh, yeah. Keith Emerson, Greg Lake. It's it's not going to slow down. It's just going to keep getting, you know, they're just hitting that age. All of our heroes from the 60s and 70s are in their 60s and 70s. And it's just, uh, you know, yeah. it's just life. It's it's inevitable. And it's, it's going to be sad that there's going to be a day sometime soon without Mick Jagger or Paul McCartney on this earth. It's just, it's inevitable. It's interesting, even in Canada, the two of the biggest bands of all time are the Tragically Hip and Streetheart, and Gord Downey and uh, Kenny Shields both passed away within about three months of each other. So even in, like, the little world of Canada, we're feeling that as well. So, um, like you said, it's, it's getting to be tougher and tougher. But overall, 2017, a pretty good year. Uh, what do you got coming up in 18, Mike? Uh, pretty much where we started off on this conversation. It's all going to be about Sons of Apollo for me. You know, we're launching that on the road, and we uh, we start a world tour in February, and that's pretty much going to be my focus for the year. Plus, also a Metal Allegiance album that we're wrapping Mangy. up, and uh, a new Neil Morse band album as well. But Sons of Apollo is going to be the main focus. How about you, Charlie? 
Uh, we have a tour kicking off the end of January. It's that Chiltrax tour with uh, us and Killswitch Engage, part two. Uh, we had such a good time on the first one that we decided to do it again. And then there's going to be something happening after that, too. And then kind of started to write some new songs, so I'm actually excited about that. And, uh, yeah, just making new music, is that to me is more exciting than anything. Agreed. And uh, actually, my favorite three releases of the year were uh, Sons of Apollo, Psychotic Symphony, uh, Fozzie Judas, and the DVD Kings Among Scotland by Anthrax. <laughs> Definitely the three best uh, of all uh, all the things released. And all of you, if you have any Christmas money left, should go buy multiple copies of each. And hey, man, I got to say congratulations on on the sing- on Judas. You know, uh, thanks. That did really well for you, and I'm really happy, man. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's uh, like absolutely. It's, thank you, guys. Well, I appreciate it, and it's always a blast to talk to you. Go watch your Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Uh, and uh, Charlie, let's, we'll talk about the Beatles later on today. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Happy New See Year! Love you. Happy Bye. New Year! <laughs> All right. Thanks to Mike and Charlie for helping me ring in 2018 with a final look at the best of 2017. And we're all ready to move forward. Here's to a great 2018 that's going to be made even better by booking a cabin on Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea, the inaugural voyage. We set sail October 27th, about nine months from now. And if you book your cabin by January 15th, which is about a week from now, you'll get a picture of me and you and the list. I'll even put you on the list. Everyone's always asking me, how do I make it on the list? You want to be on the list? Book your cabin now before January 15th. I will put you on the damn thing. And remember, you can book your cabin for as low as an $150 deposit at chrisjerichocruise.com. And when you reserve your cabin, every activity involved on the ship, every activity happening on the ship is included in the price all the food as well. We're talking the live podcast, the stand-up comedy shows, the meet and greets, the concerts, the signings, uh, the Sea of Honor tournament by Ring of Honor. If you take a picture of Jim Ross, it's free. If you go to a Mick Foley comedy show, it's free. If you come see the Foz Rock Judas, it's free. It's all covered in the price of your cabin. Only thing you pay for on the ship are drinks and gabbling. If you're a teetoler like Jerry the King Lawler, you don't have to pay for shit. All right. Excuse my French. And you'll be able to come hang on the ship with all these incredible guests. Remember, this is not like a big wall uh, where all the talent hides behind. It's a cruise ship, people. There's nowhere to go. You will be hanging out and talking and interacting and drinking and gambling if you do those things or going to see shows with Jim Ross, Jerry the King Lawler, SoCal Val, Mick Foley, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Rey Mysterio, Ray the Keeping It 100 crew, Conan, Disco Inferno, and Shane Helms. The Killing the Town with Cyrus and Paul Lazenby. Colt Cabana and Marty DeRosa doing their hilarious unprofessional wrestling show. Beyond the Darkness will be telling some scary tales with Tim and Dave. And you want some comedy? How about some of the funniest comedians in America? Brad Williams, Ron Funches, Jim Brewer. Hilarious guy. Jim's also got a great rock and roll band called The Loud and Rowdy featuring Steve Brown of Trickster. They're going to be rocking. Uh, Busted Open Dave LaGreca is going to be rocking, as he always does. Fozzie playing our top 10 hit Judas. Almost at 13 million views on YouTube. And the Painless videos is scheduled to come out in a couple weeks. We got King. We got The Stir. Great rock and roll bands that we've toured with in the past. The Dave Spivak Project. Spiwi, you've heard him and his music right here on Talk is Jericho. Go get uh, check out his new video, Get Out of My House, on YouTube. The Dave Spivak Project. Put that in there. 
It's awesome. Uh, we also got Shoot to Thrill, the world's best female ACDC cover band. The darlings of rock and roll, the Cherry Bombs. They're going to blow your mind with their routines that they do. Blizzard of Ozzy, the world's best Ozzy Osbourne cover band. And, of course, Ring of Honor is presenting the Sea of Honor tournament aboard the ship. Match is happening in the middle of the ocean. And the winner of the Sea of Honor tournament gets a Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Championship shot in the future. And the Young Bucks will be there. And the villain Marty Skrull will be there. Did you see his wings at Wrestle Kingdom 12 for his entrance? It was amazing. We'll talk all about that. More information come up in a bit. The American Nightmare Cody, don't call him, Rhodes will be there. Cody's wife Brandy will be there. Man, she looks smoking on uh, Wrestle Kingdom 12. She's a good wrestler in her own right as well. Uh, so many other of the, the, the brothers are going to be there. The Briscoe brothers. Dalton Castle. Uh, the list is going to continue this Wednesday when we start making more announcements of new Ring of Honor town. You never know who's going to be there. Uh, I do know who's going to be with me on Wednesday, though. Next episode of Talk is Jericho, right here in Westwood One. If you saw Alpha versus Omega at Wrestle Kingdom 12, a lot of people are saying it's Chris Jericho's best match ever. That's really high praise. Great compliments from everybody. Well, you got the Alpha right here. And on Wednesday, we're going to have the Omega. That's right. Kenny Omega returns to Talk is Jericho to talk all things Wrestle Kingdom 12. And the genesis, the execution, and the excellence of Alpha versus Omega. Kenny's making his big return, and it's an exclusive you can only hear right uh, right here on Talk is Jericho. Alpha versus Omega versus Talk is Jericho. Don't you dare miss it this Wednesday. Until then, in the meantime, and in between time, stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs, and a big yeah, boy, and a happy 2018, man. <laughs>